1: This is
2: the Tom Hartman Program. My friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Robert Sanders tweeted something out uh, that is <laughs> like, this is great. I've got to share this with you. Uh, back in 1980, John, uh, Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter had a debate, a presidential debate. And in that debate, Jimmy Carter said something, he made a proposal, and Reagan famously, I mean, this is probably the only thing anybody remembers from that debate. Reagan famously said, there you go again. You know what Reagan was saying, there you go again about? He was ridiculing Jimmy Carter for wanting to have Medicare for all. Let that sink in for a minute. Reagan saying, there you go again, was ridiculing Jimmy Carter for wanting Medicare for all. Here is the clip. It's 49 seconds. Listen to
3: this. Reagan, as a matter of fact, began his political career campaigning around this nation against Medicare. Now we have an opportunity to move toward national health insurance with an emphasis on the prevention of disease, an emphasis on outpatient care, not inpatient care, an emphasis on hospital cost containment to hold down the cost of hospital care for those who are ill. An emphasis on catastrophic health insurance, so that if a family is threatened with being wiped out economically because of of a very high uh, medical bill, then the insurance would help pay for it. These are the kind of elements of a national health insurance important to the American people. Governor Reagan, again, typically is against such a proposal. Governor, there you go again.
2: There you go again. Right. I it's 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 shocking when you look back on it, you know, it's it really, really and truly is Teresa in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Teresa, what's up?
4: Hi, Tom. Hey, I just wanted to remind you to remind the listeners. And I love the way you're reclaiming the word socialism. But let's remember the military is probably the largest socialist institution on the planet.
5: Yep. (laughs) it's
4: Certainly
2: the most well funded one.
4: Oh, my gosh. So when these cranky neocons and right-wingers are talking about how we need to fund the military, they're just socialists.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree. In fact, uh, somebody tweeted a uh, socialist programs in the U.S. meme, you know, Department of Agriculture, Amber Alerts, Amtrak, Public, this is um, apparently organized alphabetically, Public Beaches, Public Busing, Business Subsidies, Census Bureau, CIA, Federal Student Loans, Court Systems, Dams, Public Defenders, Disability Insurance, Department of Energy, the EPA, Farm Subsidies, the FBI, the FCC, the FDA, FEMA, Fire Departments, Food Stamps, Garbage Collection, Health Care, Public Housing, the IRS, Public Landfills, Public Libraries, Medicare, The military, state and national monuments, public museums, NASA, the National Weather Service, NPR, public parks, PBS, the Peace Corps, police departments, prisons and jails, public schools, secret service, sewer systems, snow removal services, social security, public street lighting, the Department of Transportation, highways, roads, bridges, U.S. Postal Service, vaccines, veterans, health care, welfare, the White House, the WIC program, and state zoos. (laughs)
4: <laughs> A- amen and also don't forget patent protections the the big pharma people oh my gosh oh, yeah. their're socialism
2: oh yeah absolutely patent and trademark and and you know the mouse too you know Disney and and uh, for that matter Trump I mean you know his his daughter got all those trademarks uh, out of China excellent points all Teresa thank you Victoria in uh, upland California listening on kpfk hey Victoria what's up
6: hi Tom I just wanted to make two quick points first of all my point ties right back to what Teresa just said Um, you started your program with uh, bringing Costa Rica as a um, country where you know they do great things with their socialism uh, providing so many services to the public I like to mention that Costa Rica does not have armed services and which is what we pay so much of our tax money into um, in the United States and the second point you asked what I would like to add to the Green New Deal and I'd like that to be a youth work program for the summers. Mm. I'm a kid I'm a kid of the nineties and we had programs in Los Angeles where the county actually funded the youth to actually go get jobs. It was a partnership between the government and private sector where The private sector would get interns that they did not have to pay and just sign off on the hours. They got to mentor young children in high school all the way up to the age of 19, and the kids got paid. They got paid minimum wage, um, but it was a summer program that you can learn, you know, be exposed to so many different areas that you never would have been exposed to as as a kid, maybe coming from, any kind of background he just was i had friends that got jobs at the chp at the social security office as a florist and it just was such a great program it's just all gone away it's been gutted so much now that the only thing those programs do is teach you how to write a resume which is just really doesn't have any value because they do that in high schools now
2: right and yeah. that's all there you go well that's a great one thank you victoria it's a great contribution to our list Chaunce in st albans uh, vermont hey Chaunce, what's up
7: Ooh, good morning, Tom. Hey, I wanted to put a plug in for socialized dental care.
2: Oh, that's a good one. Uh,
7: here in, yeah, hey, I'm glad you think so. Here in Vermont, for I would say 25, 30 years now, we've had a program which is called the Tooth Fairy Program, which covers uh, dental care for little kids, young, you know, children up to age, I think, 18. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in the last few years, it was expanded so that it's basically low and middle income now. As a school principal, working here in Vermont, I've noticed and really taken note of the um, the benefits that that's given to a lot of kids and a lot of families. Meanwhile, when I go to the dentist, I have learned so much about the interconnection between your oral hygiene and dental health and your health and health overall, Um, and have seen so many examples in my own life among adults I know of struggles to you know, maintain adequate, just adequate basic dental care from an expense standpoint. Thinking a lot about it, I, I wondered uh, at one time when my mother was um, <clears throat> struggling to pay for her dental care, she elderly, why isn't it that Medicare or your health insurance or whatever, why don't they cover the dental care? It seems yeah. like such a it seems like a no-brainer
5: almost. Well, I it, it
2: was a start. When Lyndon Johnson rolled out Medicare in 1960, whatever it was, I think it was 67, the whole mm-hmm. point was, let's get started. you know. And so we're going to exactly. just give health care yeah. to older people. But uh, there was a fellow by the name of Ball, I think his first name was Richard Ball, who was the actual author of the Medicare legislation. And he is on the record. In fact, he's in my book, Threshold, Crisis of Western Civilization. I did a whole chapter on this guy. Uh, He's been dead for a lot of years, but uh, he was very outspoken in the 1980s and 90s, This, you know, 10, 20 years after Medicare was passed, in saying that not just he, but not just him, but uh, Lyndon Johnson, uh, the other Democrats who worked on this, the Democrats who were in Congress, they all knew... And they were all in agreement that the first step was Medicare for everybody over 65. And then the second step was to expand that Medicare program to things like vision and dental and psychiatric services. And then the third step was to lower the age requirement for it all the way down to zero. And they figured that by the year 2000, we would have health care for all and it would be complete and comprehensive. So spot on. And, Trance, your your thing about dental health and, and physical health, the amazing stuff that we're finding now that cancer seems to be the consequence of inflammation heart disease seems to be the consequence of inflammation you know and obviously not ex- exclusively but there's a t- tie here and that high cholesterol levels are the consequence of uh, you know the body uh, of inflammation the body produces cholesterol in response to inflammation to try to kind of tamp down that fire when people have gum disease when they've got bad oral hygiene when they have gum disease that chronic inflammation actually increases their risk of cancer increases their risk of heart disease and jacks up their cholesterol levels and now they're finding that there's a there's appears to be an association at least epidemiologically between gum disease and alzheimer's and uh, you know i mean so you're spot on you know dental dental disease or dental health is a really important piece of this thank you very much chance that was a good one amir in woodland hills california listening on kpfk hey amir what's what's your suggestion
3: I think one of the biggest socialism we currently have is the military industrial complex. The budget for military was under $200 billion when Bush Jr. took office, and now it's over $700 billion. If you just take that money, we, there's a lot of things that, that could be done that would be productive. I mean, when you spend on military, it's all unproductive. You buy bombs, I mean, what do you do with them? When you build roads, people can use them. When you have uh, people employed in the military sector, how much do they get and what production do they have uh, as opposed to when they're working in other sectors. So uh, I think that's the one of the first things that I'd like to see. You know, you asked, you know, what do you like to see happen?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And your point about the non-productivity of the military is so important. Republicans are constantly selling more military spending, more bombs, more, more uh, fighter planes, more, you know, quack, 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 as a way of producing jobs. In fact, the military industrial complex has made sure that literally in every congressional district in America, there's at least one manufacturing facility for the military industrial complex. And therefore, they've got you know some job threat that they can use with every member of Congress. But the fact of the matter is that when you build a highway, when you build a water system, when you build out a internet infrastructure, when you build a school, when you educate somebody to become a doctor or a teacher or anything, for that matter, what you are doing is you're making an investment that is is going to produce a return over over years that will be much greater than the cost of that investment in the beginning. On the other hand, when you spend a billion dollars buying bombs, when you blow those bombs up, that billion dollars just turned into smoke. And Americans don't understand that, and they need to. Excellent point. Steve in St. Paul, Minnesota, watching us on YouTube. Hey, Steve, what's up?
8: I was just wanted to comment further. Somebody was talking about good socialism and bad socialism. and I think they mentioned the eight-hour workday too. And some people, if you ask them, like, do you know where the eight-hour workday came from? A lot of people, especially like conservatives, will say Henry Ford came up with the eight-hour workday. No. But the reality is Robert Owens back in, I think it was 1810 or 1817, came up with the phrase uh, eight hours labor, eight hours rec, eight hours rest, and originally came from him, who was a socialist, hmm. and a capitalist, and... uh and anyways, you know, so it's kind of, it's crazy how information gets distorted and stuff. I mean, even if you Google it right now, who was the originator of the eight hour workday, it goes right to Henry Ford, and it doesn't even talk about Robert Owens. You actually have to look up Robert Owens. And, ADA or workday find this is, I'm, and I'm
2: guessing that's probably pointing to Wikipedia. It's amazing to me. I've been doing a lot of research online in the last year for these books that I'm writing. I'm writing a book on uh, the history of voting suppression and a, and a book on the history of monopoly. I just finished a book on the Supreme Court. And before that, I wrote a book on, on guns. and All these will be out over the next couple of years. And um, it's astonishing to me how often when I'm researching a phrase in the, in the context of one of these books um, that I get directed to. Wikipedia, and then when I get to the Wikipedia, I find very misleading information, always with a right-wing tilt uh, or a mm-hmm. pro, pro-corporate tilt, or uh, just big giant holes, absent information. It's, it's like Wikipedia mm-hmm. has been aggressively rewritten by the right-wing. It's just breathtaking. I mean, I've, I've reached yeah. the point now where I don't even bother going to Wikipedia anymore because I know I'm not going to find what I'm looking for yeah they're gonna they're not going to give you the information. Well, here. what they are doing is they're providing every kid in America who's doing a high school report with misinformation. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's very well, unfortunate. It's,
8: when uh, when I was first uh, find out about you, Tom, when I was looking you up on YouTube and stuff, every every single video you put out pretty much is peppered with uh, like Prager University uh, commercials and stuff like that too. And it's just like, holy cow! Really? <laughs> <laughs> they were, Oh yeah, oh yeah. If you if you look up like your videos on YouTube, mm-hmm. pretty much every time there's a commercial before it, it's from Prager University or from the Freedom or whatever like they're they got to make sure they put in their five minute uh video about how socialism is bad and and this and that oh that's interesting So, man it's kind of crazy
2: so the right wingers are supporting our show (laughs) by buying ads on youtube that's amazing that that's truly amazing so anyhow the the, uh, the the guy that you said is the origin the originator of socialism give me his name again steve Robert Owens. Or not the originator of socialism. The originator of the eight-hour day. Now you said that was eight the eight, the early eighteen yeah, hundreds. I mean that you know that was when like James Madison was president. It seems like it would have to be the late nineteen hundreds.
8: right? When I looked it up, it was like eighteen ten or eighteen seventeen. That's what I was finding. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Welshman? Thanks a lot for the call.
1: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
2: My friends at X-Chair are at it again, constantly tinkering to make an already superior product even better so you can work in even more comfort and be that much more productive. Now you can enhance your X-Chair's performance and protect your floors with incredible X-Wheel blade casters. These urethane wheels are driven by butter-smooth, whisper-quiet ball bearings and are built to last, as if the X-Chair isn't comfortable enough. Now you can add a set of X-Wheels and take your performance to the next level. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and pay as little as $30 a month. Seriously, for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. You can take your comfort and productivity into the stratosphere by getting yourself an X-Chair. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com now. That's m.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked, guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code Tom for a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com. xchairtom.com. Rick in Lexington, Kentucky. Hey, Rick, what's on your mind today? Nazadrovia, comrade, is another glorious Dan Trumpistan. Not- Thrustvija, yeah. Okay, what's up?
9: Seventy-five percent of Americans want gun control. Seventy-five percent of Americans want Medicare for all, and on and on and on. Well, right. this is what the rest of the world has. This is their socialism, and I'm not sure why we're afraid to
2: stand up and say, Tom, you, I, the rest of the world, we are moderates. Yeah, this is from a poll of likely 2016 voters done by the Progressive Change Institute. 79% of Americans want the government to negotiate drug prices, 78% want students to be able to go to college for free, essentially. 77% wanted universal pre-K. And keep in mind, this was three years ago. Right, we're moderates. We've
9: got to stop letting conservatives define us by putting our back up against the wall. We're not progressives. We're not liberals. We're not, strictly even speaking, socialists, because we want the same thing the rest of the world has, and they're doing fine with it.
2: Yeah. You know, when when Louise and I launched this show 15 years ago, we had this whole meme of the radical middle, and we used to say it's the Tom <laughs> Harmon program, you know, the, the, the speaking for the radical middle. And for uh, the first three or four years, you know, we had a website called Radical Middle. We talked on our website, on this show's website, it was like Tom Hartman and the Radical Middle and all this stuff. And the, and the whole idea was the vast majority of Americans want the stuff that people who call themselves progressives say that they're in favor of. Exactly what you're saying, Chaz. And what I found was that the, the Radical Middle thing just never caught on and you know nobody understood it and it was confusing to people. And so we just set all that aside and started saying we're progressive. But you're absolutely right. The vast majority of Americans are progressive, and they do want these things. You know, 70% uh, want uh, closing offshore corporate tax loopholes. Green New Deal polled at 70% three years ago. Full employment, government is the employer of last resort, 70%. Expand Social Security benefits, 71%. Free college, 71%. Required the NSA to get warrants, well, that was a bigger deal three years ago, 71%. Full minimum wage for tipped workers, 64%. End tax deductions for Wall Street fines, 67%. Uh, Transparency in trade negotiations, 66%. Shareholder approval for corporate political spending, 61%. Special prosecutors for killing by police, 61%. Net neutrality, 61%. Uh, You know, it just, tax the rich at, uh, you know, pre-Reagan rates, 59%. Minimum guaranteed income, 59%. You know good one. Yeah, I mean it's just yeah, incredible. Yeah, I, I can Tom, I could go on. It's just You're you're speaking my language and that language is moderate. There you go. Chaz, thank you very thank much. And hey, great to hear from you. Gail in Antelope, California. Hey Gail, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's
4: up? Hey, good morning. Um, The socialist program I would like to get rid of is the Tax Cuts and Job Act, the one that gave everything for free to the millionaires and billionaires. Oh, this is the the GOP tax scam from 2017. Those people get everything for free. They don't pay for nothing.
2: Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. (laughs) Yes, absolutely agree. Repeal it. And by the way, a lot of Americans right now, and this this is actually becoming a thing. And I hope the media picks up on it. A lot of Americans are now, you know, going to Twitter and Facebook and complaining about the fact that they thought that they were going to have a two or three thousand dollar tax rebate and they, they got nothing or they actually owe a couple hundred bucks because when Trump did his tax scam, Steve Mnuchin ordered the IRS to come up with withholding tables that made people feel like they were getting more money in their paycheck or at least the same when in fact they're going to have to pay more in taxes particularly if they live in a high tax state and so now you know you've got average americans all over the country just screaming bloody murder about this stuff the trump republican pence tax scam is even less popular than it was gail thank you for the call cliff in canyon country california hey cliff thanks for watching free speech what's up
10: good morning tom uh, yeah, I watch Free Speech TV, and from my angle, it looks like you have no gray hair, sir. Uh, what do you attribute this to? It uh, mostly uh, hair dye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, 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 dear. My wife's okay, so, advice. Uh, so, Tom, I enjoy life. I really, really do. Um, I'm about to hit sixty this summer. I've had several near death experiences in my life probably about seven or eight legitimate ones, three or four before I was even two years old. So, you know, maybe there's some entity watching over me. I I don't know. In any case, like my friend Don says, you got to get out there and hit it because life's getting shorter by the minute. So the reason I called, I think the most tragic thing going on here is, you know, what our very existence as a species depends on going forward has turned into partisan politics, you know, not science. And it's it's insane. I mean, we're in the sixth mass extinction, yep. and as far as I know, the other five didn't have, you know, so-called intelligent beings witnessing and contributing to their own demise like we are. Right. I and mean, this is our legacy, the post-industrial revolution man. This is our legacy, destroying the Earth, causing a catastrophe, making life mostly, you know, uninhabitable, basically all for money, for corporate profits and it just seems like these things always come down to greed. What do you think?
2: I absolutely agree. Greed is killing this planet. The greed, the greed of the fossil fuel the billionaires planet. who will lie to us about climate change, the, the the greed of the of the big chemical companies that will lie to us about, you know, whether their products cause cancer or autism or whatever. Uh, the you know the the, the the greed of of a medical uh, and healthcare industry that wants to rip us all off. I mean, it's just I I absolutely agree, Cliff. And the problem is that greed is the predicating assumption of capitalism. The The whole core idea of capitalism is that greed is good, as Michael Douglas said in Wall Street. And therefore... If you want to have functioning capitalism inside your society, you have to have a regulatory system that down-regulates greed so that, you know, greed is still a motivator. It still causes people to start businesses and things, but that it doesn't allow them to take it to these ridiculous extremes where people become multi-billionaires and corporations just wipe out everything in the landscape. So spot on. Thanks a lot for the call, Cliff. Jeff in Virginia Beach. Hey, Jeff, what's up?
7: Hey, Tom, I'm just wondering... uh is social a social democracy the same as democratic socialism yeah and if and if so why don't we call it a social democracy because then how would you republicans keep referring to Venezuela if it's if we're talking about a social democracy
2: right venezuela venezuela is not socialist and never really was venezuela was a corrupt petro oligarchy before chavez came along and it has been one ever since. And you know, Venezuela is not an example of socialism. You want an example of socialism, look at Northern Europe. And and in Europe they refer to it as social democracy. Here we refer to it as democratic socialism. And we just need to use the word a lot more, Jeff, in my opinion. We need to we need to and thank you for the call. We need to bring this word back into fashion. We need to make this word, you know, socialism because the Republicans have already publicly out loud said they're going to use this against us. Sally in Powell, Wyoming. Hey, Sally, what's up?
0: Hi, I wanted to make a statement. Um, uh, uh, Throughout history, civilizations and governments have fallen after about 200 or 250 years for the very same reasons we're facing today, and we are all doomed if we don't change. I feel that people should have compassion, consideration, kindness, and love for all of life, and maybe then the earth will have a chance. Yeah, that's that, my statement.
2: That two and a half century mark seems to be the point at which corruption just overwhelms governments. And I don't think anybody's ever figured out exactly why. There's that famous uh, Alexander Teitler quote. He is supposed to be a Scottish economist from the 1800s, but actually, it's a phony made up quote but basically what he says is that eventually you get to the point where the people vote themselves enough benefits and freebies that they bankrupt the government and everything goes down in flames i don't think that there's actually any basis for that i don't think that that's ever in history been what happened. I think that if we do look at history, though, whether it's the Roman Empire, the Roman Republic, whether it's the Greek Republic or the Greek democracy, whether it's uh, even, you know, countries like Poland or Hungary or, or Russia, what you see is that when countries start to slide, it's because the elites, it's because the oligarchs have stolen everything. And then when they get that top heavy, that bloated with basically stolen wealth, That's when democracies start to fail so good point sally thank you very much for the call dave in brecksville ohio hey dave thanks for watching free speech tv what's up
7: i'd like to do away with two capitalist programs Mm -hmm. welfare and food stamps and what i mean by that is i think that we should have a livable wage
2: i agree although what are you going to do about people who can't find a job
7: When you have disability, I'm not saying anything about disability. I'm just saying that the vast majority of people, if they had a livable wage, they would not have to resort to welfare or food stamps.
11: Yeah,
2: no, I I, I, I absolutely agree. What FDR said, and I think that we really need to go back to this, and this is at the core of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal, what FDR said was, if capitalism fails and you can't find a job, I'm going to give you a job. I'm not going to give you welfare. I'm going to give you a job. And that's why he created the WPA and the CCC and and you know all these other agencies and literally put millions of Americans to work. He said, a government job will be your social safety net. And then for those people who couldn't work at all because they were disabled, there was social security disability. That, I think, is frankly the way to do it. I wish that we would be going back to that. Dave, thank you for the call. Kurt in Spokane, Washington. Hey, Kurt, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up?
5: I think it's imperative that we cancel student debts, totally cancel the student loans, because I've worked for years and a lot of people, my debts were canceled to forgive them, but a lot of people really deserve that. and We really need to open up more of that conversation. I'd like to hear more what you think about the forgiving the debts, you know, like free education and free medical.
2: I I absolutely agree, Kurt. You know, Trump sold us this $1.5 trillion tax cut for billionaires and big corporations by saying it would stimulate the economy instead a trillion dollars of it was used for stock buybacks and the other half a trillion dollars of it seems to have ended up in swiss bank accounts but if instead we had taken that trillion and a half dollars and added it to the debt but used it to forgive all the student debt in america you would have an economic boom because you would have young people who could get jobs they could buy homes they could get married they could start families they could get on with their lives they could start small businesses it would be a huge thing so eliminating student debt is one of the fastest ways to put america back to work you've got an entire generation now people who have been you know born came in came into this came into the workplace in the last 30 years or so during this weird time i mean it all started with a bankruptcy bill of 2005 joe biden's legislation uh, these people are just like they're wiped out you know and and it's wiping out america kurt spot on thank you for the call and thanks for the suggestion Stan in Spokane, Washington. Hey, Stan, what's up? Good
5: morning, Tom. I was debating with a right-wing coworker regarding uh, raising taxes on the wealthy, mm-hmm. and he claimed that the wealthy pay the bulk of the taxes. And I don't believe that, but I don't know where to go to get that information.
3: If you you're talking
5: actual
2: that? tax payments, the majority uh-huh. of tax payments made in the United States by individual taxpayers are being made by people who make over 150000 dollars
8: Really, even after all the loopholes and everything? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah. yeah. But that's, okay. that's because they're taking the majority of the money. I mean, if, they, if they're taking sure. 90% of the money and paying 70% of the taxes, they can say, hey, I'm paying a majority of the taxes, more than so you know. But, hey, you're taking 90% of the money. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah So, true. you know, whenever a conservative says, oh, yeah, but the rich people are paying most of the taxes, the answer needs to be, yeah, but they've got a lot more than that in terms of most of the money. That's true. So, you know, by and large they tend to pay less as a percentage of their income, particularly the very wealthy. There is this fairly substantial cohort. It's it's probably a couple million people who are making more than say 150, 200,000 and less than 3 or 400,000, you know, say more than 200 and less than 500. There's a fair mm-hmm. number of people that fall into that category. Like I said, it's probably a couple million people nationwide. And that group is the group that's really getting screwed, if you want to talk about taxes, because they don't have the ability to have these kind of loopholes that you can have if you have over a million dollars a year in income. So they're paying mm-hmm. the full 37 or 39% or whatever it is right now. Or at least they're paying it on their top marginal rate, on the, on the money they make over a hundred and some odd thousand dollars but Mm -hmm. still they've got a damn good life i mean i'm not you know i'm not crying in my beer for those people so yeah so (laughs) so that's the situation stan thanks a lot for the call
1: you're listening to tom hartman
2: Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none, and her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up, as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, and call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide, and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities of physical gold and silver. Call one eight 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 own gold That's one eight 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 o w n g o l d. Don in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Don, what's on your mind today?
5: How we think about economics. Mm-hmm. Because I had the rare privilege of being the chaplain of the Stanford Business School for two years when they were putting this nonsense in. And oh, that's interesting. Having a theological pagan, on it was amazing. They violate every principle of no's, Adam and Ricardo, mm-hmm. and called this free uh, market capitalism. So it's, not, it's a, a mess to begin with intellectually. Mm. But here's the idea an economy is a metaphysical creation that human beings and societies put together to serve society. Money is the blood or the energy that keeps that body alive and healthy. So it has to flow. Right. That's why we call liquidity so important. Right. Now, it also has to nourish everything. Because if, if your toe isn't nourished, if that part of the body isn't nourished, you limp. If uh, your head gets all the um, money or all the blood, you have an aneurysm. It's a matter of the system's health. What's produced by the collective effort of a society is the common wealth. Mm-hmm. How that gets distributed is also maintaining the system. You can't have it accumulate. That's the problem with dynastic capitalism. It accumulates wealth in unproductive places. Right, so like the Walton family. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So now if we are playing in a democratically designed economy, I don't want to call it capitalism or socialism. That gets too crazy. Let's just say a democratically designed economy. And our goal is to make sure that the money gets everywhere, that it's needed, nourishes everybody, mm-hmm. empowers productivity, it's, it's the energy, And that when it's finished, we allocate the uh, product collectively in a way that's just. Doesn't that make sense as how we do our currency? And then everything about currency and how we play in that can be designed to have a great deal of freedom in commerce or a great deal of collective uh, um, planning. But the point is, when we finish doing all that, we have to to redeal the chips.
2: Yeah. No, I I get your point, and I agree with you on everything, and here's the one weakness in your argument, Don. As long as you're using concepts like justice, you're saying, you know, we're going to distribute that money in a way that's just. Well, you know, Charles Koch's idea of what's just is very different from mine.
5: That's why we call it a democratic design instead of an oligarchic design. Sure, if you decide that the most productive best human society would be a slave system with all the wealth you can generate from slavery and all the high living that the elite can show up with you know that's your decision politically i don't think americans don't make that decision politically
2: well i think to some extent we're we're there right now i mean
5: democracy we get confused with capitalism we get confused with socialism we thoroughly get confused with it's my money
2: (laughs) yeah I, you know, I think I think we're largely okay. there. I mean, the United States, the, the U.S. was, up until the 1980s, a high-wage country. We are now yeah. a middle-to-low-wage country. And that has wiped out large portions of the middle class and made it much harder for people in the lower economic levels to, to come up into the middle class because, you know, it's yeah. just like that, that middle ground is no longer there. Don, thanks for the call. Rachel in Rockford, Illinois. Hey, Rachel, thanks for watching us on Facebook Live. What's on your mind?
0: Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I wanted to talk about the overarching conversation, which is socialism and what programs we want, what programs we don't want. And the thing is, what I've observed working on campaigns and canvassing is one of the first things I have to do is I have to establish rapport and also build common ground. Mm-hmm. And what I found is each individual voter has three or four core social programs that he or she has a stake in that are very important to that person's existence. All the other social programs, they're either neutral on or hostile to. But they don't understand that in order for them to have their social programs shored up, we have like this prisoner's dilemma. Where in order for us to protect those three or four social programs, they have to protect the individual programs of all the other 330 million people at the same time. So if we are able to build that common ground and establish that we're all in this together, that it's not a zero-sum game, the only way to protect your social programs is to have faith that I'm going to protect them and... In order for me to protect mine, I have the faith that you're going to protect them too. We all have to have faith that the other people are not going to be like the crabs in the bucket of, I've got mine, right. I don't care about you, I'm right. going to pull you down, I'm going to take away your social program as long as I have mine.
2: Right. I got it. I got it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's a great meme, uh, Rachel, and a, and a really important point. Thank you so much for calling and making it. Sue in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, Sue, what's on your mind?
12: Well, this is a saying
0: that I heard or read. Capitalism without some socialism will become fascism. Socialism without some capitalism will become communism. And the interesting thing about this, to me, is that both fascism and communism result in the same thing. A very few people, less than 1%, end up with the property, power, and everything that... 90 percent of us don't have
2: yeah basically ownership uh, of society
0: yes and for instance an example is that putin today has a fortune of over 50 billion i understand so therefore both of these extremes will wind up more or less the same way
2: yeah brilliant analysis sue i've heard that old saying it's been a long time and it is thank you for that otis in yorktown virginia hey otis what's on your mind today
12: public banking Back in the 70s, we found out that banks, regional banks, were given predatory loans primarily to American descendants of slaves. There's a hashtag called ADOS, which is a group of us that have really been working for a long time to bring this to the fore. Most Americans call it divisive but and label it identity politics. But the truth is, every other group in this country is advocating it for itself. What I have a problem with with public banking, it sounds good on the surface, but with no details you end up still getting predatory lending. Uh, the, the, well, why not
2: just the, outlaw predatory lending right across the board for any bank? I mean, you know.
12: Well, you uh, say for any bank. And and don't you is, think
2: that a community bank would be more responsive to the community? I mean, if the, if the
12: bank was owned well, by the city? I, it should be, but the details matter. And I didn't want to get into the details of it. I literally had to fight for my father as a government employee. Because the local, when it was regional banks here, when I came, start going through his paperwork. Right, but those were,
2: Otis, those were private, for-profit banks. There's never before in the United States, to the best of my knowledge, there's never in our history okay. been okay. A, a bank owned by a city. And that's what San Francisco is proposing to do. If the city owns it, then, you know, if you got a problem, you can go to the city council meeting. I mean, right now, if you've got a problem with Wells Fargo, and you even try to protest,
12: you might get arrested. Okay, I, I take that as a given. My point to you is the same thing happened with the Langley Credit Union when I was military and he was just an employee. But, yeah, but here's another thing. When I but the credit
2: about- union, again, only responds to its customers. It doesn't respond to the public. And so if it's going to say that they're going to keep some of, the, some of the customers out because of their race or because of where they live, um, you know, the, the, you're dialing back the ability to, to, to make change within the credit union. But a city is all the people who live in the city.
12: So the given is, you think if the government running it as a city, is it going to make sure that there's no predatory lending? I don't think anything will rate. make
2: sure that there's no predatory lending, but okay, I think it will it'll, that's it'll it would radically increase the public accountability of the bank.
12: Okay, and my point again was, that's why details matter. Now, let's hit another thing quickly, because I know you're short on time. AOC, I like a lot of things she's doing, but if you listen to the ta Coates interview from her at The Atlantic, she made claims that she thinks reparations are a good thing. She says it should be for everybody. But she says specifically that it should be targeted to the era when harm was compounded by redlining and predatory lending. How can you tell a people that I will be allies with you if you start your reparations theory based on the 1930s or the 40s when we as American descendants of slaves, have a reparations tort that goes back to 1619 when Angela first set foot on this continent. That doesn't sound like a good ally, and it sounds like you're trying to dictate, once again, in America, that for me to make my specific claim is divisive. I cry foul on that, and that is what I have experienced and my people have experienced in this country from day one.
2: I, I, I understand, Otis, and I, I agree with you. I, I understand your perspective and I I largely share it. What I would say is if any politician, let's take uh, AOC out of the out of the discussion, if any politician comes along and says, uh, yeah, I'm in favor of reparations, but on a limited basis, let's start in 1930 and, and just do reparations based on who got screwed out of redlining or something like that. What that says to me is that that person is willing to engage in a conversation and that you will have an opportunity to hopefully change their minds, enlighten them, inform them, expand the conversation. That's a hell of a lot better than the vast majority of both Democratic and of all the Republicans and probably the vast majority of Democratic politicians who are saying, we don't even want to talk about reparations. I mean, at least AOC is willing to talk about them. She's got her own idea about them, but that means that you can you can try to influence her.
12: And let me give you a quick rebuttal. I agree with you there, but let me go back to two black candidates are running, Booker and Harris. They're, my problem with them is each time they're asked a question in the public limelight about what would they do to help blacks, They pivot away from it and start talking about all Americans want this, all Americans want that. All Americans are not disproportionately being shot by cops. All Americans have not been redlined and the property's taken away from. Everyone from Haley Barber, when he was doing it throughout the South, and Andrew Young when he was in Atlanta. When they come and talk about privatization or infusion of private money, black people get disenfranchised from their land and have no wealth, but white people who have the same problem with Haley Barber down in the South privatizing water, sewer, and other public services, at least they got to keep their land.
2: You and I have a luxury that Kamala Harris and Cory Booker don't have. We're not running for political office and we don't require roughly 70 percent of the population being white people to support us. Uh, you know, I, I you know, wow. I'm just doing a show. Um, you're, you're just calling into a show. I don't mean just like, but minimizing it. But neither one of us are having to uh, do outreach to a large number of people, particularly a large number of white people, which uh, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker have to do if they want to become president. So I I, I'm that. willing to cut them a little slack if they're not going full. You know, we've got to do everything right now. Well, and, and I realize I, that that kind of rhetoric historically has kept things where they are and has been very destructive. We've really got to understand real politics. And I think in this regard, they're, well, you know, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm not being an African-American. I'm, I don't think that I'm a, I, I even have a you know, standing to criticize them for their positions on, uh, on race, frankly.
12: Tom, a quick response. What America's not going to understand is if they don't include us, american descendants of slaves will break away from the democratic party and the whole nation will take a dive so yeah. good luck and i love your work
2: okay thanks a lot otis and i get what you're saying david in oceanside california hey david thanks for listening to kpfk what's up
9: i want to talk to you about for-profit education uh before i say that one short thing uh aoc is going to be 35 in 2024
2: and i think she'll be president in 2025.
9: All right, <laughs> I that, hope so. That'd be a good thing. There you now, go. I once worked in the for-profit vocational education industry, a place I like to call that technical institute that shall not be named. Okay. And I will tell you, what the profit motive does is it essentially incentivizes these large companies to provide education. They... You know, Muck provide. education,
2: like as in McDonald's. Uh, yeah, yeah, as
9: in mic education. We were told, I mean, I was if I would complain about quality issues,
3: mm-hmm.
2: we
9: were told point blank, this wasn't hemming and hawing, this was not beating around the bush. They were saying, they would tell us to our faces, this is a business first. Right. Before it's a school, it's a business. They had counselors who were actually high pressure salespeople. They would do many things like I come to find out they were telling a lot of these students that public schools were horrible. And, you know, that was a big part of the sales pitch. Mm-hmm. They would pitch to these you know, students from low income families very often not a lot of academic preparation.
3: Mm-hmm.
9: And they would bring them in here mainly because this was a demographic that qualified for the maximum amount of student aid. And if they didn't qualify for student aid, they'd get them into these loans. You know, the financial aid department was rather, you know, the, the counselors, i.e., high-pressure salespeople, and the financial aid people <laughs> made more than the instructors.
2: Wow. Uh, and, you know, you words, the business side it. of the business was more profitable than the education side of the business.
9: Yeah, the edu- they didn't care if I taught them anything at all. Wow. You know, I did teach them. I'm actually proud of the job I did. Mm -hmm. But I wound up being unceremoniously escorted from the building after I and several of the other instructors complained about them altering our attendance records. Because we're supposed to keep attendance because the government was, they call this private industry.
2: Right.
9: But they were getting a lot of their funding from government sources. Sure. You know, grants, large. Default rate on the student loans. Yep. and my job was primarily to keep them in that seat. I was teaching uh, computer aided design drafting, which is a very technical field. There's geometry. There's standards on dra- NC fourteen five and all these you know standards that are gone ga- that go into technical communications, so they can make parts out of these drawings. And the students were bored by that, so the counselors were telling, "Well, Disney
2: hires a lot of our people, and you can, you know, draw Woody and Roger Ant- or whoever." So just just learn how to board. draw the mouse. Don't worry about the geometry. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm,
9: a, I'm, 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 I'm frustrated because these students.
2: I don't know. to amazing, geometry David. We're hitting the me, break. We're Mickey you know, Mouse icon. Yeah, you want to summarize your point in, in a sentence here, please. Uh, it, i summarize it again it, it's mick education
9: uh and this is what the DeVos and the bill and melinda gates foundation wants they want they want to do away with public education because they're not making enough money off of it.
2: i agree i agree david i i don't know about the the gates foundation but certainly betsy DeVos and her friends you're listening to tom hartman What most people don't realize about working in radio is that it's hungry work. I mean it. And you know, cooking can seem like a chore, but that's where HelloFresh comes in. They take the guesswork out of cooking by offering a wide-ranging menu with classics that we know and love, like the gorgeous greens farrow bowl or the delicious grilled sriracha glazed salmon to recipes you might not be as familiar with, courtesy of their gourmet menu. Get fresh and affordable, high-quality ingredients delivered right to your doorstep, pre-measured, so all you have to do is follow the recipe. It could not be easier. That's what makes HelloFresh America's number one meal kit. For a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's HelloFresh.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. Get a total of $60 off. That's $20 off your first three boxes. Visit HelloFresh.com slash Tom. That's HelloFresh.com slash T-H-O-M. HelloFresh.com slash Tom. Gary in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Hey, Gary, what's on your mind today? Uh, Tom, just a little
10: correction. Uh, Yesterday, you um, uh, read from a list of... uh, parts of the government that are agencies, whatever, that are social construct, Right, okay. socialists, uh, yes. Okay, um, you mentioned the Postal Service. Uh, I'm sorry,
9: but
2: the Postal Service cannot be on that list because it receives zero tax money. But the infrastructure of the post office, the buildings, the, 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 the cars, well, I don't know about the cars, but the, the older infrastructure of the post office that that is government provided, is it not?
10: Uh, don't we
2: build uh, post office buildings?
10: No. They so, are all. They are all leased. Even the old ones that were built under the WPA have all been run by the General Services Administration.
2: So the post office pays rent on them. In right. Words, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um,
10: okay. Thank you, Gary. Um, and it's been it's been thirty years.
2: Okay. Postal reforms in quotes. Uh, it's been a little more than 30 years, wasn't it? Didn't that happen during
9: Reagan? 1970, uh, 1974 was the Reconstruct Organization
10: Act, mm-hmm. and subsidies were phased out over 10 years. So by 85, we received no tax money. Right. Cool. Cool.
2: Okay, Gary, for the future, I will not call the post office a socialist institution. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. I appreciate the call. It's good to hear from you. Carol in Manesson, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind?
11: Hi, one of the things I want to say real quickly before I get into why I called is I recommend the book, The Age of Ice for everyone to read.
2: Darja Mail's new book, yeah.
11: Yeah, it's so much worse than we knew. I, it's a very scary book. Yeah. But the reason I called was about the fact that I support Medicare for all, and I am a democratic socialist and have been for many years. But the reason that I think we're missing the boat on the, pardon me, Medicare for All um, promotion is we need to promote it more as a job creator, because I think that really, um, if we had Medicare for All, that would bring back an awful lot of jobs that have gone to Mexico and Canada. What do you think?
2: I agree, and it would also encourage people to quit dead-end jobs and start their own businesses. You know? yes. I mean, if yes. we could combine that with something, you know, breaking up the big monopolies or, or stopping big monopolies from existing, do away with the Bork rules that came into place during the Reagan administration. Instead, make it possible for people to get into small business and build the small, you know, family business. I, I, you, yeah. know, I you know, yeah, Medicare for yeah. all.
11: And also, uh, I think that uh, Medicare for all would also give us a healthier workplace it would eliminate a lot of the things which cause obesity, Uh, Stress is a great creator of smokers and drinkers and people who overeat. I mean, there are so many things that would be solved if we had Medicare for all.
2: Agreed on all counts, Carol. And it's good for the public health. It's good for entrepreneurship. It's good for employees. It's good all the way around. And as an employer, I would no longer have to pay for for workman's comp. I would no longer have to pay for health insurance. (laughs) I'm all in favor of it. Carol, thank you for the call. Rob in Mesa, Arizona. Hey, Rob. Socialism?
9: Uh, yeah, I think any time because, you know, being liberals and progressives, we overthink the issue and try to discuss it too much. Yeah. We got to keep it simple. And every time someone on the other side brings up anything to do with socialism, just respond with this. So you're not for the troops or military. That's all you have to say. Uh, you know, if we get into these long discussions. You lose
5: people. You know, there's a reason
9: why But then they come
2: back. You know, this is how the libertarians come back. They go, yeah, but, you know, you've got to figure out a way to protect your country. And so, you know, we're in favor of an army, but we're not in favor of anything else. And it's like, how do you respond to that?
9: There's a reason why Fox News use beautiful people, whooshing sounds, and flashy graphics.
5: So just keep it simple when you respond. You know, not for the troops or the military on social issues. Okay,
2: I got it. Rob, thanks a lot. Uh, Steve in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Hey, Steve, what's up?
1: Hey, good morning there, buddy. Two quick points here. One is AOC, she rocks, and we absolutely love her. And number two is, you know, I haven't heard this from me in a little over two years, is in the community we live in down here, where there's about 40 Canadians I've spoken to in the last d- dozen years. And they've got second homes here. They're, they're wealthy enough to have that. And their taxes I haven't hurt them enough. They, they've got second winter homes here, and they absolutely love their health care. Yeah.
2: This is the thing. I realize that every time I say this, I sound like, you know, the old geezer, but I grew up in a neighborhood in Lansing, Michigan, tract housing, I guess is what they called it back in the day. It was built right after World War II in the very early 1950s. And dad bought this house, this three-bedroom, one-bathroom house, you know, all on one level, little ranch house for $13,000, as I recall. When dad died, my brother sold it, I think, for 90000 So that's the kind of neighborhood I grew up in, right, in South Lansing. And, and Probably half the people in my neighborhood worked at General Motors. Dad did, you know, or in some cases, mom. And I would say pretty much everybody had a new car every two or three years. And probably, well, I know of four or five people on my block, which was maybe 12 houses, 14 houses or something like that who had uh, summer cottages up in in Northern Michigan. I mean, that was just a common thing among working class people who worked in factories in Lansing in the 1950s and 60s, was that they had a second home in Northern Michigan. So it doesn't surprise me that Canadians, that you live in Phoenix, that Canadians are coming down and buying second homes. They still have that economy. Canada never went Ronald Reagan. You know, Europe never went Ronald Reagan. Only the United States and the United Kingdom went Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, screw the middle class, destroy the manufacturing jobs and so it makes sense steve that canadians can buy a second home in phoenix that's
1: right it's my story comports with yours too grew up in madison and they, my folks bought their first house in 1960 paid about 17 grand pretty much the same story but anyways i want to move forward here just saying i'd like to see bernie run there's a meme out there that he's too old and you know the fact of the matter is a lot of people want to see joe biden but mm-hmm. joe biden is only one year younger than bernie right. and so that meme about bernie being too old can be put to bed right now well now trump's I'd only
2: two years younger than bernie isn't he?
1: i think it's one year
2: okay so it's yeah
1: one year i believe yeah and also i'd like to see enough oh, already yeah i'd like to see his running mate being shared brown of ohio because ohio's a swing state I think Sherrod could pull in a lot of people. What do you think, Tom?
2: I think Sherrod Brown is a hell of a great candidate. I do think, though, that the ticket this year is almost certainly going to have a woman or a person of color or both, which would be, you know, probably Kamala Harris on it. And I think that that's a good thing, too. I think that that kind of diversity is increasingly important, both in our party and for our country, particularly as we're going through this this roiling upheaval of having a, a naked, open racist in the White House and having most of the Republican Party absolutely aggressively embrace that racism. We need to push back in not just meaningful ways, but also in symbolic ways. Steve, thanks a lot for the call. Great conversation. John in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey John, what's up?
5: Socialism. It's mm-hmm. about the terminology that is used. And for the life of me, I think I spoke to you before I uh actions of at Lee Atwater. Back at them. We are living in a quasi fascist government. The Republicans have never written a bill that wasn't passed the Oak Brothers or Alec or anyone else, which to me is fascism. They want us to live in a society in which the wealthy pretty much writes the laws and governs us.
2: Right, it's called oligarchy oh, really? or plutocracy, and, and fascism exactly. is the merger of state and corporate interests, and we've, we've got all of that stuff, yeah. But the problem is, if you start using the f well, maybe we should start using the F-word, we then, the fascism word.
5: It. That's the point, Tom. That's yeah. the
7: point. We should use it. Okay. Because well. that's what it is. Call these guys out. Make them defend their fascist policies.
2: Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Actually, and if they're going to call us socialists and make us defend our socialist policies, we should call them... Fa- okay, John, you got it. I'm going to start doing it. Dave in Armstrong Creek, Wisconsin. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind?
3: Good morning, Tom. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, the two terms, capitalism and socialism, are just words that people bandy about. Right. I don't think anybody really understands the meaning of either one of them. What they talk about, what they're doing in Europe, they, they define as social democracy,
2: or democratic socialism,
3: or yeah. democratic socialism, what we call it, but we've always been—we've uh, never been a pure capitalist country. We've always had, and you pointed out, all the things that that we do that are social policies that could be considered socialism. Um, one of the main flaws of capitalism is that it's based on unlimited, unrestricted growth, which logically is impossible. It's and
2: resources, like, by the way.
3: Yeah, and it's like viewing the world as some that you can just make bigger, which is just, you know, whatever we do, even if we go all green for energy, we still have to think about sustainability. Mm -hmm. We cannot go on with this idea that we just consume and consume and consume and don't have to replace anything. And it's it's something that we're going to have to come to terms with as a society. And you and I have been part of this, you know, I'm about your age. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we'll ever see people actually come to terms with what they're going to eventually have to come to terms with. Well,
2: I think so. And I I think the memes for it are there in in the cultures of indigenous people. They really understood sustainability, and we need to adopt those. We need to go back to those people hat in hand and say, thank
1: You're you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit
2: TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We need to be saying to Native American elders, teach us, please. Amy Klobuchar announced her candidacy in a snowstorm. Donald Trump tweeted, you know, intending to make fun of her which he said, well, it happened again. Amy Klobuchar announced she is running for president, talking proudly about fighting global warming while standing in a virtual blizzard of snow, ice, and freezing temperatures. Bad timing. By the end of her speech, she looked like a snow woman. Here you have the president of the United States arguing to millions of Americans that because it's cold outside, the planet isn't being damaged by the greenhouse gases that are being emitted by the guys who fund his campaign. You know, just lying through his teeth. So Amy Klobuchar responds. She says, science is on my side, Donald. Looking forward to debating you about climate change and many other issues. And I wonder how your hair would fare in a blizzard. And then she says, everyone else can join my team and contribute at amyklobuchar.com. A nice trolling of Donald Trump which raises an interesting question. Now we've got Amy Klobuchar in the race. We've got Kamala Harris. We've got Elizabeth Warren. It's just a whole bunch of people who've pretty much jumped into the race recently. Who are you excited about? Who are you excited by? Karen in Winter Haven, Florida. Hey, Karen, your thoughts? Hey,
4: Tom. I like Governor Jay Inslee out of the state of Washington.
2: Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington state, has basically announced his candidacy he seems like a very decent guy and he's running on the environment which is a huge issue i mean it's a huge issue here in the pacific northwest but it's we're talking about you know at the end of the day the survival of the human race
4: well that's why i also wanted to suggest that we combine our search for medicare for all and the green new deal because i will tell you that the effects of climate change on our health is going to be so tremendous those of us here in Florida are already getting a taste of it in that many of us who never had allergies before in the past now have them. (laughs) And it's something that the CDC was down here at a dinner with the Physicians for Social Responsibility, and they warned us. They're specialists in climate change and the environment if they're still around during Trump, but this was during Obama's time. And they said that they were telling the Florida doctors, first of all, get your hospitals off the coast. Uh And second of all, you're going to see patients that have never had allergies before. They're going to get them because when they dropped all that core exit and junk into the Gulf, it blew right across the state of Florida. Because we're flat. Oh, uh, yeah. And both my little sister and my mother and I all have them now. We never had them before. And the other thing too, surviving Hurricane Irma, I will predict that because of the strength of the hurricanes, Florida will be uninhabitable in the future. Wow. Irma covered the whole
2: state. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But Karen, you know, I think that the environment is a huge issue. And uh, Jay Inslee is doing a great job of talking about it, as are all the other candidates. Thanks so much for being with us today. What a fascinating day. We'll be back tomorrow with more of the same. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow.